Welcome to the Edge of Work podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a podcast for leaders who want to make sense of workplace trends and are looking for new ideas about how to lead people and grow their business in a changing world of work. During each episode, I'll bring you the latest experts, researchers, founders, and leaders to share new and unique ideas, as well as actionable advice around attracting and retaining talent, developing people, and building healthy and sustainable organizations. Welcome to the Edge of Work podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the Edge of Work podcast. Today's guest is Joel Constable. Joel is the Director of Talent Development at Intuit. In today's conversation, we chat with Joel about some of the leadership development programs that he's leading at Intuit. One of the reasons why I brought Joel onto the podcast was I read his HBR article about some of the work that he was doing at Intuit around how they were embedding some of the values of Intuit's culture into their leadership development programs and a unique program that he helped lead in terms of trying to roll out new leadership behaviors at Intuit. If you're someone who is trying to improve your leadership development at your organization, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Joel will give some really good ideas and insights about how to get buy-in from leaders to participate in your programs, but also he does some really innovative approaches to making sure that he's not only got them bought in, but that they're actually participating, which in turn helps really strengthen the program and helps make those leadership behaviors embedded into the organization. As always, I'd love to hear what you think, and please enjoy my conversation with Joel. All right. We're live back on the Edge of Work with Joel Constable. So Joe, thank you so much for being here. As listeners of the Edge of Work know, I always love starting with a warm-up question. So Joel, the warm-up question for you is, what was your first job and what did you learn from that experience? Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Al. I'm excited to be here. My first job was as a lifeguard and I learned a valuable leadership lesson, which was that positional power does not mean that people will follow you or listen to you. Despite my bright red shorts and my whistle, uh, there were a lot of kids at the pool who, who did not want to listen to me or do what I asked. Uh, but what I learned throughout the summer is as I got to know uh, several of them, and, and there was a number of them that would show up nearly every day and built relationships with them and built some trust with them, uh, they became much more likely to actually listen to me, for me to influence them. So that was a, an early leadership lesson for me. That's a great one. And it's, I would have thought that if there were any time where someone would definitely listen to someone else, it would be in a matter of safety. <laughs> yeah, you'd think. Yeah. That, I think that was my assumption as well. <laughs> so I was a little disappointed when... Joe, it seems like you've Joel. It seems like you've learned a lot from those days as being a lifeguard, and you currently have a work in the field of leadership development and talent development. But I guess as a starting point for this conversation, what is your role, and how would you describe the work that you do each and every day? Yeah, so I work at Intuit, and my title is Director of Talent Development. My team, I lead a team responsible for executive, manager, employee, and team development. And day to day for the, for me, that looks like I spent a lot of time prioritizing and helping the team prioritize, helping set the direction uh, for where we're going, clearing roadblocks, providing a lot of uh, feedback and coaching. And then from a, kind of an individual contributor perspective, I'll also spend some time on our executive development work and, and different initiatives we have underway there. 
As a result of you know, working in just the field of talent and leadership development, I know that you think a lot about culture and specifically around the role that I think leaders and leadership development kind of intersects in terms of culture. And I wanted to have you on today because I know that you've written an HBR article, which I really enjoyed reading, and I'd love to talk to you about it. And I guess as a starting point for this conversation, you've worked a lot with leadership development programs, both at Intuit as well as throughout the course of your career. And I'd just be curious to know from your experiences, what challenges did you often see come up with some of the traditional models of leadership development programs? And how did that, those experiences cause you to maybe think differently about how you wanted to approach that in some of the work that you've done at Intuit? Yeah. So I've been doing this work for, for a long time and a common dynamic that I would observe is folks in our field and people I was working with, we'd spend a lot of time trying to create really impactful leadership development experiences. And we would have folks participate in these experiences. And ideally it would be really positive and they would practice using some kind of real situation they had, and maybe they'd learn a framework or a model and then they would leave. And very often what I would find, I I'd talk to folks a couple months later and I'd hear that they're doing a lot of the same things that they were doing before they came to the session. And I noticed that happening quite frequently, despite our best efforts to really create great experiences for them. And it got me really interested in behavior change and why and how do people change behavior just across all dimensions of our life. If you want to exercise more or start a mindfulness practice or eat healthier, how do people make those kinds of changes? And it got me thinking about what's out there and what we can start to, to apply to learning and leadership development. And one big element that, that I started to see as I was digging into the research and learning more about this is just the impact that your environment and that your peers and, and kind of social influences would have on your behaviors. And, and I think one of the big barriers and challenges that would happen as it relates to learning and development and leadership development is we would be talking about skills and behaviors and capabilities in a classroom or in a, an online learning that people then did not see practiced and role modeled and recognized and rewarded when they would leave the classroom setting. And that impact of culture just became really evident in, in shaping behavior. And with the article you referenced, part of the premise of the article is that the most senior leaders have a disproportionately large impact on shaping the culture and the behaviors that they're modeling, the ways the things that they're paying attention to send signals to what's important and what they value. And I use Intuit and some of the work that we've been doing as a bit of a case study and exploration of that. But that's, yeah, that's a bit of what I've observed. It's ironic because what you just talked about very much is very much something you said in the beginning in the intro when you talked about being a lifeguard in terms of encouraging and getting people to do the things that you wanted them to do. And not being able to necessarily always be able to do that, even in those moments of being a lifeguard at the pool. And there are still so many of those parallels whether it comes with respect to the types of things that we would like sometimes our people to do within a organization or a culture. 
And I guess as a starting point, could you talk about Intuit? The article, I think, does a good job exploring some of the culture at Intuit, but I'm sure you've thought about this a lot because you spent a lot of time you know, thinking about this in terms of bringing that culture to life through the leadership development programs. But for the rest of us who may not be as familiar with Intuit, could you talk a little bit about the culture at Intuit and what, in your perspective, makes it unique? Yeah, so I've been at Intuit about six years and... What drew me to Intuit, there were a few things that drew me to Intuit. One was that at, at that time, it had a reputation for being uh, very people-centric and, and just a, a company that would invest in culture, invest in in their employees. Intuit also, six years ago, really wanted to reimagine leadership development and really wanted to be great at it. And I think a lot of companies say things like that. So I think for me, it was, let's see how that plays out and let's see if that's actually true through actions. And what I found and, and why I'm still here six years later is that is all true. Intuit is a very people-centric culture, put a lot of value and investment into employees. Um, and it's a very collaborative culture. Uh, it's a culture that values relationships, uh, that values working together to, to get things done. And... One of the things I've most appreciated and I think has shown up in that people centricity is the investment that our senior leaders and that our organization has put into specifically into learning and development, into developing leaders. And that for me shows up uh, much more so in their actions than their words. So when I joined, we had a relatively small team of folks to serve the employee population. The team has grown a lot. There's been an investment in that way. Our leaders are actively invested in actually teaching leadership and being involved in our programs and initiatives. And so I, that's a lot of what I enjoy about working here. The, co the company also prides itself on being very customer centric. And I think how that plays out in our work is our customers are our employees. So we, we take pride in really deeply understanding our employees, our managers, our executives, their pain points, what are they facing? How is their day to day? And then doing our best to create solutions to help ad address those challenges. So now that you've set the stage and given us context for the culture at Intuit, I'd love for you to talk about the leadership program that was referenced in that HBR article. Could you talk about just what that program was and more than that, can you also talk about the approach to bringing this to life and building it? And why was that approach so important in terms of the success of the program? Yeah. So in the article, I, I, I spend a bit more time or words deep diving on a particular program that, that you're referencing that was really the beginning of our executive development efforts since I've been into it in the past six years. And just to take kind of a quick step back, I think, to set the stage for that. One of the, the primary initiatives that, that I worked on with many other people, including our CEO and our chief people officer, was uh, defining a leadership playbook for the company. And our CEO, Sasan, was adamant and committed to the fact that he would be leading this, that it was his responsibility to lead the design, the rollout of this playbook. And the playbook was really intended to define expectations of leaders at Intuit, to be clear around what we think success looks like for great leadership. And 
we made a decision to roll that playbook out for the first time to the majority of our executive population at an annual leadership conference that we had. And at that conference, the playbook was taught to to our executives by our CEO, by his staff, and actually even by our executive chairman, Brad, who used to be our CEO. So he was also involved. And they were all up there talking about how the the playbook looked for them in their in their day-to-day lives as leaders because what we wanted the playbook to do was to define at a high level some behaviors that we believe are important but with the idea that every leader is going to demonstrate these in a slightly different way because we want people to lead authentically and in ways that are true to them so that launch of our playbook to our executive population really became the 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 kind of the prompt for a, a reimagining of executive development at, at Intuit, which is what led into the program that, that you're referencing. So about a month after this conference, when all of our executives had learned about the playbook, had begun to understand it through uh, the stories and the teaching of our most senior leadership team, we offered a program for our VPs called the VP Leadership Lab. And it was a this was launched during COVID, so it was completely virtual. It was three modules of two hours spread out over about two months. And it was co-facilitated between my team and our C-suite and either Sasan, our CEO, or Brad, our former CEO. So we had really great involvement from our most senior leaders in the company teaching and The primary goal of this program was really to help leaders internalize the playbook. So we created an assessment tied to the playbook. We had a case study where we asked them to use the playbook as a tangible tool to help address the case study. And then we spent the last session helping them, creating some space really for them to reflect on how they would teach the playbook to other leaders. So what's their unique, what we would call leadership teachable point of view on the playbook that they could then use to teach. And the program was a great success in the sense that we had really positive feedback on it. And within our, the the first year of running it, we had 95% of our VPs who who voluntarily uh, signed up, which to me just really speaks to the involvement of our most senior leaders. Uh, kind of a historical challenge I and I know many others have had within learning and development is just getting people to sign up and show up when everyone's super busy. And having 95% of a very senior audience show up on their own is is pretty unusual. I kind of joke when you and your boss's boss are the ones teaching everything, everyone tends to show up. So we had great engagement, great participation. And because we got nearly all of our VPs through that program in the first year, What we then did was cascaded a a very similar version of that program to our director population, which was much bigger. And then we used those VPs, all of whom had spent the last session of that program practicing teaching. They then became the teachers for the director program. So in this sense, we had a, a pure cascade from our CEO down, and we really enlisted the active engagement and participation of our leaders to help teach all of this. Hey there, it's Al, and thanks for listening to the Edge of Work podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it. If you're enjoying this episode, I would really appreciate if you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or simply just share it on social media or with your friends. 
I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. There's a lot in there that I would love to unpack and go into depth a little bit further. And I think what I'm most interested in is that the cascade is awesome in theory, but to get it to actually work is always, the devil is always in the details. And so would love to get into some of the details. I'd be curious to know from your perspective, what did you do in terms of the either getting the buy-in or the support or the in the leading up to starting this initiative and starting this program to really get people on board and to get people to, to buy in? Because sure, it, I absolutely agree that getting CEO to back something, that certainly adds a lot of credence. But to your point, there, there still are lots of VPs who could easily have said no or could have easily not still participated. How did you navigate through that? Or what did you do to really get the support of everyone else to really buy into the program that you were building? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good question. And it's a topic that I frequently talk about with peers, because I think I think everyone's thinking about something like that. Hey, that would be great if that happened. But as you said, there's so many things that make that difficult. One thing I guess I would lead with to be really candid is I think some of it is just comes down to Sasan and his leadership team intrinsically believe this is important. I think at some level there is just a a sense, a, an internal belief. And you can see that and you can see that from Brad as well. They write about some of this on LinkedIn and other publications about they have a point of view and they care about leadership and they believe leadership matters. And that's at some level, I feel like that's that can be hard to as a mindset, that can be hard to shift for people. They, they, they have it and um, sometimes they, they don't. So, so that was a big part of it. And I think I'd be remiss not to mention that. I think what we did to build and maybe supplement that is we, we use data, data that we had about our culture and what we knew about leadership at Intuit, what's been successful, data that we found externally about the impact of leadership and clarity of expectations and, and the impact of leaders modeling and teaching and why that's, that's important. I would also say that we were patient to get the right level of alignment. So for example, we were actually able to get the leadership playbook, the, this model created uh, months and months before it was actually rolled out. So we had it, we were waiting. And the reason that there was a delay, everyone was excited about it. We wanted to share it with leaders, but when you're aligning up to the CEO and their staff, they have a lot of things on their plate. And so the sequencing of your project is put in the context of lots of other projects. And so that was without a doubt worth it to have, in this case, Hassan leading the way. But it meant that we had to be a little bit more patient, I think, in, in the sequencing of the rollout to ensure that we had alignment and that we were on the path and the agenda of our most senior leaders. So I think there's a little bit of patience and also diligence in, in aligning across a lot of people. I think anyone that's worked at a very big company, uh, especially that's very cross-functional uh, and collaborative, it, it takes time. And a lot of the hardest work is identifying all of those stakeholders, aligning with them, trying to reconcile when they have different points of view, understanding who's making the final call on various things. And that was a lot of the time that was spent. Our chief people officer, Laura, is also really passionate about this and was a huge driver of the work. It was a number of factors, but it certainly helps when 
you work for folks who believe in this. So I think one other thing I would offer up, which I appreciated about this was that I think anytime you can give people a role and bring them on the journey with you when you're with what you're building, I think it always builds goodwill, but also just quite frankly, give someone something to do. And so I, the, one of the pieces that I did appreciate about how you put this together was being able to do as the, the main driver for the cascade really was getting the people to go through it. And as a result of that, once they went through it and assuming they had a, assume they had a positive experience, they then were then able to then be tapped to go eventually when you went more downstream to be able to go and facilitate some of these sessions. And I think on a lot of levels, I think that's a really thoughtful way to roll this out in terms of number one, getting support and buy-in. Number two, hopefully tapping into people's intrinsic motivations. Uh, And hopefully also number three, also somehow also maybe aligning with the culture, right? In terms of uh, is that kind of thing, a culture that you're something that your culture and a behavior that you want to see in terms of uh, leaders stepping up to go and model something that is important to, to the organization. And so I think on my end, that was definitely something that stood out and uh, maybe could have been a, a linchpin for the positive involvement that it, it had. One other thing I wanted to ask you about this. I know that we talked a little bit about, yeah, CEO support, great. That definitely always uh, gets people to listen. But it often is one of those things where people often will say, I, I don't have the time for this or I, I don't have the time. I know, I think you've, I've, some of the other stuff you've, I think you've written about this mindset before around uh, the timing piece, but how do you think about knowing that, yeah, it's, it's probably true. As a leader, you have a lot of things on your plate, but how did you cross that chasm in terms of getting buy-in and support to participate in this in whatever capacity it was, whether that was as a facilitator or just even going through this, when you, we all have the same amount of hours in the day, and we all have long to-do lists and we all have things to do. Like, How or were you able to overcome some of those traditional challenges that sometimes uh, professionals have with getting people to show up or getting people to invest? Yeah, time, we could talk, we could spend this whole podcast just talking about the challenge of time and managing time and leaders feeling like they don't have enough time. But I think as it relates to these programs, the biggest thing was that we knew they had to be tangibly valuable in the moment. That if executives were going to spend any amount of time outside of all of the other responsibilities that they have, that they had to feel like they're leaving this time better equipped to do their job in that moment than than they were before. And so there was a few things we did to try to make that true for them and for the experiences. One was this development-based assessment that we anchored to our leadership playbook and that we shared as part of not only this program, but several programs where we have similar versions of this, where they're getting insight from their team and comparing that to their self-perception about how they're doing on things. So these assessments were never shared with their manager or with anyone else. They were purely developmentally focused and purely intended to raise awareness of of where there may be gaps between how a leader is perceiving how they're doing and how their team is perceiving. So most leaders find that valuable, that kind of data, particularly if they had not been able to get that data through other sources. A second way was um, we 
almost always in our executive programs, we'll either use very realistic case studies that we've written that are basically based off of something real or a very common experience people have, or we will bring our executives together and use their own challenges as the basis for the conversations and for the discussion. Uh, We have a number of what we call learning circles for our directors and VPs where they come and there's a lot of peer coaching. And we ask them to look at some of these challenges through the lens of our leadership playbook and the behaviors there. But it's intended for them to be a time to work through real challenges that they have. So getting them new data that's valuable to them as a leader, helping them work through real challenges as leaders that they're facing have been a few things that have definitely driven engagement and participation. So in the beginning, when we started this conversation, one of the things that you mentioned from your years of observation and doing this work is that even with the best of intentions, someone could show up to this program, get a lot out of it. But even a couple months later down the road, they're still doing the thing that they've always done and not really doing the thing that you aspire them to be doing. And I'm curious, knowing that you've seen that and witnessed that before and thought a lot about that, could you talk about anything that you've done to try to overcome that and to really bring these leadership behaviors to life for the, or to help the participants really bring these leadership behaviors to life within the organization? Yeah, I think some of it is what we've talked about, which is putting a large focus and emphasis on your most senior leaders and really paying attention and having dialogue around what are they modeling? What are they practicing? Is there a disconnect between what we're saying is important, what's in our leadership playbook and what people actually observe our most senior leaders doing? And if there is, that's a huge problem. And and I would say that definitely happens. So I think there's a big focus on the senior leadership team, on them understanding that they have a disproportionately large impact on shaping the culture and shaping the behaviors of everyone else and spending time there. Related to that, having them teach, having them reflect enough to have a point of view about leadership that they can teach others. Just showing up to teach, and this is something we hear from participants, it's always the most valuable thing they take from these programs is when their their boss or their boss's boss is there sharing their insights. And Partly it's because of the insights, and I think partly it's because of the signal that it sends, right? Like where you spend your time is a really great signal of what you think is important. So when leaders are spending time teaching, when they're spending time trying to help other leaders, uh, it just sends a really important message about the culture. The other thing that we've been doing that I think is very important is we've been trying to integrate the playbook into all of our talent processes. So thinking about how do we hire leaders? What are we looking for? What are we interviewing for? How can we systematically, thoughtfully make sure that we are recognizing and rewarding these leadership behaviors when we're saying they're important, we're developing them. How do we make sure that's part of the conversation in performance reviews and talent reviews and things things like that? We use some external coaches and we, part of our process is all of them become also deeply knowledgeable about the playbook and use the playbook as a lens through which to be coaching. I do think as much as people may, you may have managers and leaders who love the practice of leadership, love the the practice of managing. I, I do believe that like over time, if they never ever see 
those behaviors, recognized, rewarded, modeled, they probably won't practice them. I think that's it's important to reinforce anything that you're talking about with the system, the systems and processes and leaders that are helping shape the culture. Just as a follow-up to something that you said there, because I've heard you say it a couple times now, you mentioned this idea, I think your CEO as well as others have a point of view on, or differentiated point of view on leadership. And that strikes me as something interesting. So could you share a little bit more just about what that means and how you think it has helped in terms of the, the efforts that you've had with this program? Yeah. So we believe part of a leader's responsibility as a leader is to teach and develop others. And within the context of leadership, then it's what we try to prepare and help our leaders do is to create structure and space for them to reflect about what they care about and what's important to them and what do they actually have a point of view on related to leadership. And I think some leaders do this naturally. They're very reflective or introspective and they're thinking about this. But I think there's a lot of leaders who are in these big roles, who are very senior in an organization and have gotten there through driving and through getting things done, but haven't spent as much time reflecting about their life experiences and how those have shaped how they think about leadership. What do they believe is important? How do they care about showing up as a leader? And so a lot of what we try to do is to, to help bring that out for them. It should be very personal. So we're not going to be prescriptive about what that point of view is. We do ask people to think about their leadership points of view through the lens of the playbook, but the playbook's meant to be very holistic when it as it relates to leadership. So Ideally, any experience someone would have would be able to map to that in some ways. What we then also try to help them do is to understand when and how to leverage those stories and to leverage that teaching, because there's very formal ways to do it, which is a lot of what we've driven. We, hey, we have a program, we have a conference, we have this opportunity for you to speak, but there's also going to be opportunities for leaders to teach and to share their point of view and their experiences through one-on-ones, through team meetings, uh, organically in response to something that comes up. And one of the reasons we believe stories are important is people remember stories. And for leaders, it's also an opportunity with a lot of these stories. These don't have to be success stories, right? These could be failures, struggles, adversity. It's an opportunity to demonstrate vulnerability. It's an opportunity to build psychological safety with the team. So we just believe it's a really effective way to to build a culture of leadership development. I should also say it's in the DNA of Intuit that predates me by many years. Many years ago, Noel Titchy was here as helping support Intuit. And he is, I, I believe, the person that kind of coined this term of leadership, TPOV, teachable point of view. So it's been around the company for a long time, and we're we're just taking a slightly new lens on it. Joel, this has been a really great conversation. I really enjoyed getting to hear a little bit more in depth about some of the leadership development work that you're doing at Intuit. And as we get into the home stretch here, there's a couple questions that we always love asking every guest that comes on the edge of work. And so uh, my first question for you, Joel, is what is one idea that you want leaders to think differently about so that they can create a better world of work for their people? Yeah. Yeah. I love this question. For me, the answer to this is 
attention is focus. I think in the environment we're in with the pace of change and technology and all of the distractions, I think your ability to be mindful and be present and hone your attention and focus is a differentiator and, and, and almost a superpower because it seems that it's becoming rarer and more and more difficult. So I, how this shows up, I think, is in lots of ways. I think it's the ability to think deeply about problems and to focus and to go beyond shallow surface awareness or thinking. I think it shows up in how you interact with people. Can you be completely present in a one-on-one -on -one actively listening, not distracted by the 50 other things on your plate. And, and same thing with meetings and any kind of time you're engaging in content or with people, can you be intentional about where you spend your focus and your energy? And I think the people who will be able to consistently do that well and do that strategically well on the right things, it, it really becomes a differentiator for them. I like that one. And last question for you, Joel, what does a better world of work look like to you? Yeah, I, I love this question. And what it got me thinking about was one of the reasons that I like working in HR in people stuff is I really do believe your experience at work has a huge impact on the rest of your life. And just the simple example to, that I would give is when I've had a great day at work, I come home and I'm almost always in a better mood and I almost always show up in a different, better way with my kids and wife. And chances are, right, emotional contagion is real. When I'm showing up differently and positively with them, that's probably going to influence how they're showing up with other people. And conversely, right, like when I've had a terrible day and things aren't going well, I come home, I'm not present, I'm not in the, I don't have the same attitude maybe that I would otherwise have, that impacts my relationships. And I, I do believe that can then impact the relationships those people have with other people and that there's a ripple effect to the experience at work that goes way beyond just us at a company and even beyond the people that we interact with. It just, it continues. And so I really do believe that when more and more people are having a positive experience at work, an experience where they feel empowered and validated and recognized and like they're making progress and doing something meaningful that the impact on that is so much bigger than just them, that it's part of what inspires and excites me to do the kind of work that we do. I like that a lot. Joel Constable, Director of Talent Development and Intuit. Thank you so much for coming on the Edgework Podcast. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks, Al. Hi, everyone. Al D here. Thank you so much for listening to the Edgework Podcast. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to share the episode with a friend, as well as to head over to Apple Podcasts to leave a review and let us know what you think. I would be forever grateful if you did that. I would also love to hear directly from you about what episodes you're listening to or any suggestions you have for how we can make it better. You can find me on LinkedIn.